All right. Welcome back to the Mindful Sport Performance Podcast. I'm Dr. Keith Kaufman. I'm Dr. Tim Pinot. And we are coming to you live from quarantine. <laughs> so uh, definitely excited to have a little contact here, have a chance to, to talk a little mindfulness. And uh, Tim and I are extremely excited to welcome two guests to our, our podcast today. Um, we're welcoming all the way over from Southampton, England, um, Amy Spencer and Greg Clark. Uh, thank you guys so much for, for joining us. Yeah. Um, Amy is a sports psychologist at Southampton Football Club, and she's been there for uh, eight years and is currently working toward her PhD with a focus in uh, mindfulness and football. Um, so really a wonderful expert to have as a part of this discussion today. And Greg is a consulting clinical psychologist who specializes in work with elite athletes. Um, and he's also currently working at Southampton Football Club. Uh, as well as at INEOS uh, America's Cup team. Um, and he utilizes a variety of third wave approaches in his work, including mindfulness. He has been kind enough today to uh, kick us off with a, a short mindfulness practice. Um, and standard disclaimer applies. So uh, if you're listening to this, please make sure that you're practicing in a safe place. You know, please don't do this while you're driving or operating heavy machinery. Um, and uh, take it away, Greg. Okay, thank you, Keith. Um, yes, pleasure, pleasure to be here. Um, I'm just conscious that my, my headphones keep kicking in and out, so hopefully this won't affect the delivery too much. Um, so we'll just begin um, by just settling in. Um, we've, we've, we've had a busy day today, uh, or myself, whether the time zone's the same where other people are. So if we could just give ourselves a little bit of an opportunity to uh, tap into maybe what's happening for us right now. So I just invite you to gently close your eyes if you feel that's comfortable or just to find uh, something to perhaps gaze at and we'll just begin by taking in a few nice deep breaths I'm really feeling the air as it comes in through to the body just perhaps noticing at the tip of our nose as we breathe the air passing in perhaps a coolness of the air and as we take in the breath, just becoming aware of the changes perhaps in the body you may be aware of, that the chest expands. And just gently then allowing the breath to breathe in a natural process, but also becoming aware that we may have some thoughts coming in as we do this, as I'm sure, I'm sure we may. But just using that breath perhaps as our anchor, just to be aware of the present. So being aware of each breath as it enters the body. Just noticing it passing through the body into the tummy. And as best we can, just noticing as the breath leaves the body. And as I say, as we do this, we may become aware of some thoughts that pop in. We may also be aware, and I invite you to just do a brief scan of the body, perhaps noticing any tension that you may be aware of or you may not have been aware of. 
And if you do notice any areas of tension, perhaps again, just taking some nice breaths in to those areas and just giving yourself some permission just for this few minutes where we are maybe not in the doing state of mind, working out what's happening in the future or what's been happening in the past today or weeks. And instead just holding this moment, just giving yourself that permission to be in this moment. Just using that breath, perhaps as the anchor to the here and now. Just gently coming back to the breath each time. If you become aware that the mind has wandered, that our attention is elsewhere, which is perfectly normal. And just using this time for you to just be with yourself, be with your breath. And as I say, every now and then, just perhaps scanning the body, just being aware of anything that we may be holding tension-wise, or in the same way, awareness of the mind and what it may be holding. And as best you can, just gently allowing that to perhaps just drift while we bring our attention back to the coolness of the breath on the in-breath. and perhaps a slight warmth of the breath as it leaves the body on the out breath. And just using this approach as we go through the rest of our day. So as we bring this short exercise to an end, again, just taking in a few nice deep breaths. And when you feel ready and in your own time, and just gently opening your eyes or looking up. Okay. Wow, thanks, Greg. That was awesome. That, that was surprisingly nerve-wracking to do that for me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear ah. your voice. Really? Okay, that's a good, that's a good, so yeah, I, I try to, uh, yeah, and interestingly i do you know i do this a lot and then when amy said or, or kindly volunteered for me to to do the practice <laughs> i actually felt quite a lot of pressure so uh so yeah that i found that quite interesting <laughs> you did very well craig <laughs> thank you yeah i felt the same way I, I i remember keith and i had that exact conversation the first time we did the the podcast i i, I led the meditation and i was like wow i was like i leave these all the time and that was it made me really nervous yeah <laughs> It really speaks to how we have to do what we teach, right? How even though we might teach mindfulness or study mindfulness, we still have to use it the same way we talk to our athletes or performers in using it. And I just, I mean, I just really appreciated your, your willingness to do it because I love hearing how other people lead meditations. I feel like I always learn something new, you know, even like I, um, right in the beginning, your direction to like, put my attention to the tip of my nose, like really like gave me this point of focus that I really liked this, um, the, and the repeated body scan. You know, I, I find myself when I, when I lead a meditation, I'll almost always start by having people, you know, just scan their body, see what they're holding. And then, you know, and I have found personally that when I'm meditating, I will often like in waves kind of release tension 
And so it'll be like mm-hmm. a couple minutes in, and I realize, oh, I was still holding something in my hips, let it go. But I, but I don't include that in my own guidance. I just loved that, that it was okay. like, oh, going okay. back to the body scan again and again felt so helpful. Mm-hmm. That's, I'm glad you found it helpful. And, and, and I, didn't, I, I, I didn't plan to do anything. That was, that was one of my things today of thinking, shall I, shall I look for a script? Or, and then I thought, no, I'm just going to go with it. So I'm glad it worked out okay. <laughs> Yeah, it was great. And thank you. We really do appreciate um, both of you guys joining us. You spoke to the time zone mm-hmm. difference as well. And we know it's evening time for, for you there and you've had a long, busy day. Um, but we are so thrilled to talk to, to you and Amy um, because we've, we've been collaborating with you guys um, for some time now and, and have had a firsthand look at the wonderful work that you do. And we hope that this is an opportunity for you to share anyone who might be listening uh, to this uh, a bit about what, what you guys have been working on and how you've been incorporating mindfulness into, into your work. Um, and, and so that's, that's kind of the first question we wanted to start with and, and give you each a chance to speak to this. Um, and, and just to give one, one more quick preface, what's so interesting is obviously you both work at Southampton together, um, but, but come from different backgrounds, right? Amy, you come from a, a sports psych background and, and Greg, you come from a clinical psych background. And so, um, the way you guys collaborate and bring that together and the slightly different perspectives that you bring, I think is so valuable in having you both on this, this pod. So, um, maybe Amy, we can put you on the spot since Greg yeah, was on the spot. Should, to, yeah. to <laughs> <laughs> Greg approves. Um, so Amy, maybe you can just kind of talk a little bit about how, how you came to mindfulness and how you use it in your work. Yeah, so um, I was actually, it's a bit, of a, a bit of a weird story. I wanted to do some PhD work um, and, and go into a PhD and it was Malcolm, our head of, our head of department that kind of introduced me. Um, and so I thought, oh, this is interesting. Let's explore it a little bit further. And then before I knew it, I was doing a PhD in mindfulness and football. Um, so it just kind of happened like that, really. <laughs> um, and I said to Greg on our very first podcast that I did an eight-week course, and the first four weeks I really wasn't a fan, purely down to the fact that I was falling asleep um, in the body scan. I couldn't get to grips with it. Um, and I had to go out and do a a talk in front of 400 people and anyone that knows me I I really dislike talking in public and all of a sudden I just stopped halfway through my speech and just went I'm really sorry I'm extremely nervous and I think just by accepting that the rest of my speech flows really really nicely and for me that was that light bulb moment of going ah this works (laughs) um so for me having that genuine experience then allow me to apply it to the players that I'm working with and getting them to have that eureka moment and it's really insightful to see them experience those moments whether that's after the first couple of sessions whether it's like over a year it it really doesn't matter it's just kind of them understanding it and experiencing it that's that's the biggest thing for me so just trying to find unique ways I mean Greg and I try and find unique ways to try and bring it across to the players, but also to the club. Um, and so far, so good, so good, touch wood, it's all, it's all worked quite nicely. Um, so yeah, I'll stop rambling now. <laughs> oh, it's not rambling at all. I, I think 
something that Tim and I talk a lot about in, in our work and certainly on previous podcast episodes is, is the need to experience, to really connect with this, that you can't just explain somebody, explain to somebody how to do mindfulness, um, that, that it's something you really need to feel, to experience, to appreciate. And, and your story is such a rich one in terms of how you connected with it and, and your initial skepticism. And um, I, I know that's something you've talked and written a lot about is how you really try to bring mindfulness off the page and, and bring it out of the lab and, and into the pitch so that players can really have those experiences too. Um, and so, um, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot too much here, but, but maybe just if you can speak to that a, a little bit and how you've been able to do that. Cause I think that really is revolutionary and, and applications we've seen in mindfulness and sport. Yeah. I mean, I think we're very fortunate at the club with the staff members that we've got um, and the particular age group that we worked with uh, when we incorporated the MSPE uh, was to a group of under 16 year olds and the coaches were, so open-minded with everything um and it helps that one of the under the under 16 coaches practices mindfulness as well so that also helped in kind of the application but taking it from our lab and getting them to understand kind of using the anchor as the breath going through the body scan and then getting them to understand how it can be transferred out into an applied setting so going from the lab to the to the gym and then out onto the pitch and getting them to recognize where their anchors can be. So it's not just always the breath. Sometimes it works as the breath for them. Um, sometimes it was the heartbeat, the, the feet on the floor. Um, a lot of the players use the feet on the floor out, out on the pitch and using that as their anchor. And I thought that was really powerful, but with the coaches also kind of saying the same language as us, feel the floor, feel the wind on your face. Um, and then us steadily putting it into their practices. And, and even to this day, some of the players are still utilising it and have said that it's so beneficial, not only for their sporting aspect, but also going through like exams as well at the moment. Hmm. Yeah, it's so cool how you've been able to, to help them integrate it into their lives. And you're, you're mentioning this as well, into the club as a whole, right? And, and you mentioned people speaking the same language and speaking that mindful language. Um, I, I, that's something that I admire so much about your work is how far you've been able to go with, with that integration piece. And again, Tim and I talk about that all the time in, in our work and on these episodes is, you know, it's all about integration. It's all about making it a part of what you do. It's not about parachuting in and just using this and then stopping. And, and you've really been able to build a, a spectacular program around that. And, and it's so cool to hear about what you've done. Yeah, I mean, like, I, yeah, like I just said, I mean, it, we've been very fortunate with the staff that we've got. Um, and I think the biggest moment for me was when for our mental health week, we got asked to deliver mindfulness to the whole staff. Um, so that's 400 members of staff and all of them experiencing it. Um, and I think that just by them being exposed just a little bit, I mean, it was only 15 minutes worth. Um, but just having that little kind of dip of their toe in the ocean type thing a lot of people are now kind of using it. I, I don't know what you think, Greg, but I, the whole kind of culture of the club, people are really recognizing the benefits of mindfulness, which is fantastic for us. Yeah. Greg, have you got anything? Sorry, go on. Well, I was just going to say, Greg, I, I, I'm kind of curious to hear from you too, similar to what he was describing about, 
how she kind of found mindfulness and, and started connecting it to sport. And so I'm, I'm, I'm curious about kind of your experience there too, but I like to Amy's question, like your perspective on this integration piece, like what has allowed your club to be able to embrace this in the way that it has? And, and, and what have some of the obstacles been to kind of like mm. full integration at like multiple <laughs> levels across the club? Yeah, um, as, I, as Amy said, I, I, I think we're, we're lucky to have the receptiveness from people because, you know, coming from a clinical background, I apply this a lot with the people I work with, but the majority of people are coming to me seeking some kind of help. Um, I mean, certainly in football, uh, it's, it's no secret that it's, it's got its, its own culture. Um, and, and, uh, you know, you bring in psychology to football and you then start talking mindfulness and, uh, yeah, you will get, you will, you will get a reaction. And I, I think, and certainly Amy and I have spoken more recently about the language that you use. I think one of the things that we've learned mostly, the more you kind of move up and, and certainly at an elite level, you have to make it very contextual to get people to buy in. You know, if you, if you start explaining to people about, well, let's just like the example, I, the, the exercise I did, you start talking about the breath. I know, I know where footballers' minds are going to go if I introduce that too early. Um, <clears throat> and I think that, as Amy said, it's, it's, we're making it sound as if, oh, it was just, uh, I, I like the way Amy said about, I think she might use the word luck. It's, it's, it's a lot of hard work that the, the team have put in to get people receptive to it. But I think, again, if you, if you can come up with concrete examples of how it can apply early on, I think that with, with athletes, that's really good. You know, athletes generally, and I think the, the, more, the higher level you go, they're thinking beings. You know, they are in their thoughts a lot of the time. Um, yet when you ask them to recall, and Amy's talked about this before, when they're in a state of flow and what thoughts they had then, no, I didn't have thoughts then. I was just doing my trade. Um, so again, I think we stick to this kind of, well, when you're on task, you're doing what it is that you're skilled at doing. When you're off task, you're probably thinking what you're doing wrong or how to do it right. And by the time you're in those thoughts, the, you know, the moment's gone, uh, particularly in, as with most sports, but football is, which is why I love, you know, it's the pace of it. You, you, you can't switch off for a second or, you, or you're, 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 you're done by the opposition. So for me, this is where mindfulness was, so crucial, so crucial to helping players be in that state rather than, I think, traditional psychological models, more around the kind of goal setting and more thinking and cognitive approaches. And I always say, you know, you, you don't want to be goal setting while you're on a football pitch. You don't want to be cognitively processing while you're playing football because it's a, it's a, it's a movement that, you, that you're trying to incorporate. So I'm not sure if that, that kind of explains what yeah, I, I think that's a great explanation. And, you know, something, if you're willing to share a trade secret, I suppose, um, because something we talk about all the time is, is how to make that pitch, right? So uh, Tim and I do a lot of trainings with people who want to teach MSPE. Um, you know, people are interested in applying mindfulness, and this always comes up, right? H how do you make this pitch? And, and you're saying, okay, 
if you start with the breath too early, you said, you know where a footballer's mind is going to go. And, and so there's, there's a process, there's a trial and error that you have figured out for how you can introduce this. So is there anything that you're willing to share for anyone who might be listening and looking to do some of this work themselves? Um, how, how do you go about that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and just to say that, that as, as always, you learn from your worst experiences, I find. And believe me, I, I've been killed in sessions of, of, of blankness. And I, I think, as Amy and I have talked about, start with doing some one-to-one sessions because I think the dynamics of a group, I find... I learned my trade through delivering it through groups, which, which was great. But I think if you walk into a group of 15 footballers and, and try and deliver something, you, you, you can, that they can destroy you quite easily, I find. So I, I think for me, if you're working with somebody individually, it's really firstly tap into what their experience is when they're playing you know and very softly kind of asking what process you know what do they notice for example when they are playing if if, for example they have a bad touch um what do they do with that do they replay it over and over or do they berate themselves and and often if you can do some observations you'll see the players that are are pretty harsh on themselves you know and we we, we can then bring in sort of self-compassionate aspects to that. But for me, it's, it's kind of getting that concrete understanding of the person and their processes and then maybe maneuvering mindfulness into that on how it can help them improve. Um, I think if you are going to do it in a group setting, I just had the thought that you can then give some good examples. So, we, we, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but we'll often talk about if you've got a penalty and you have to take a penalty, most footballers will say, you know, if I asked a footballer from 12 yards out, could you score? Could you score a goal? I would say 99% of footballers would say, I can do that. And then you're kind of putting on top of that, well, what if it's the last minute of a game and this is to get a, an equaliser? Or what if you're playing in front of 50,000 people? Or what happens if you missed your last penalty? And I think people can then associate quite quickly with what they may do. Uh, and so for me, it's, it's, it's kind of using those really concrete examples of their experience and then when you can draw upon that, then almost introducing some of those concepts of anchoring and, and some of the best players you see, you know, obviously the more we know about mindfulness, um, you know, Ronaldo I use as a good example. I mean, he, you, you see him draw in the breath and, and kind of as Tim put, kind of dumps, dumps some of that pressure at times. And I think for me, that's, that's how, how you can introduce some of that. I don't know if that's helpful. <laughs> that's extremely helpful. And, and I, to be honest, that's also what drew me to mindfulness initially in, in my work is, is how you can make that distinction between the task at hand and our judgments of the task at hand or our um, projections onto the task at hand, right? Like you're saying, really the task at hand is scoring, scoring from the penalty spot. And, and it's not how many people are watching and what moment in the game and what the score is, right? It's all those external factors that get imposed that cause things like anxiety that, that cause us to get distracted and interfere with our execution. 
and how this style of practice really allows us to get in there and provide some space to provide some distinction between the the task at hand and those judgments and evaluations. So I, I love that. I, I love that answer. And there was something I else. Just, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, can I echo what Greg has just said in terms of like the observation? Um, sometimes that is, it's great if we can work on a one-to-one -one with all of our players, but sometimes you don't always get the opportunity, especially in a, in a club so dynamic and everything. So you have to do the group sessions. Um, I mean, at, at current, I'm, doing some group sessions or just before the lockdown with some under 13 year olds so you've got 20 under 13 year olds in a room where you're looking to expose them to mindfulness so I think one of the big key things for me is having that multidisciplinary approach having diff the coaches in on it having the sports science staff on it having the medical staff in as well um, so that everyone is is as a collective group and that you're not just being isolated. And I think that's been key um, for it to be successful within a group setting as well. Mm. So when you say isolated, you mean isolated like as as the psychologist, like yes. they're saying, here, go go work with Amy it's for a little psychology. while. We're gonna, right. <laughs> yeah. And that's so the psychologist, yeah. Yeah. And and that is such a crucial point. Thank you for saying that because we We've certainly had that experience in, in leading mindfulness groups, leading MSPE groups, and, and have seen that. Um, you know, sometimes you know, coaches might use that as an opportunity to, to check out or, or to go do something else. And the value and having everyone be a part of that, that conversation so that they're seeing what you're doing as well. And also it's, it's showing the value they have in, in what you're offering. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, that's such a great example of integration, like, like you were talking about. Yeah. It's well, and it's actually, you know, when you made your comment, Amy, about like, sometimes you can't do these like individual or one-on-one -on -one meetings with everyone. You have to do groups. You know, that's kind of where, where I was going to, going to go, or at least a comment on my own reaction, Greg, when you said that, I was like, Oh, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a, that's a lot of work. But then it's like, yeah, integration is a lot of work. Like to, to do this in a way that allows for like an entire club to benefit, to shift and do this culture shift that we talk about a lot. It does require a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of thought, a lot of planning and a lot of tailoring, right? Like not just for a particular team, but for, for specific individuals. Like how is this stuff going to land? How do we, how do we create the opportunity for each specific unique person to have that aha moment that, right, that Amy, you were talking about before, I think is, it is so hard to do. And people are, I think, are resistant to, to, to taking on that much work. But I think you guys are such a wonderful example of like when you do that work, like what kind of, re what rewards you, you reap. And you say about the rewards, Tim, it's the smallest little thing. I mean, I remember coming back from one of the SSC coaches pulled me and just went, oh, little Jimmy, he's uh, just come out of the ice bath. And he said, look, really focus on the breath. He didn't notice the cold and everything. He could stay in there. And, he, and just that little moment, even though it was a little nugget, for me, made everything worthwhile. And then sharing his story with the rest of the group, the rest of the group then go, oh, okay. And they can see how it applies to other places as well. And that it doesn't just have to be laying down with your eyes shut, which I think a lot of the perception is that that's what it is um, and mm. how it can be transferred to other places. Yeah, I think that's so true. And, and how 
like that example too highlights how sometimes these connections get made slightly off the pitch and how that then provides an opportunity to bring it on the pitch as well, right? So you're talking about a recovery aspect or, or a strength and conditioning aspect. And of course that's related to performance, but it's not gonna help with a penalty shot necessarily, but that's a bridge to, okay, you know, how might we parallel that? How might we take this kind of experience and apply it to what happens when we are on the pitch? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we certainly see that a lot when we do trainings that people start making these connections in these other um, sort of tangential ways and, and how that, those are those experiences like you were talking about, Amy, like those aha moments. Um, you know, even with you, right? Your story, your aha moment came in a public speech. It had nothing to do with, <laughs> with anything football related. <laughs> Um, I, I think as I was listening there as well, and Amy and I often have this debate, I think that one of the biggest challenges, because we talked about putting it in a context, but I think that the hard part is then how people recognize the need to practice, because as we know, without doing that form, you know, and I'm a big believer, you need to do the formal practice in order to utilize it when, when you do need it. Whereas I think sometimes in football, it's almost, and psychology as a, as a broader term, is used as a technique. Um, and as I always say from my clinical work or performance work, when this thing's in charge, you don't need techniques because it's, it's already got you. And I think for me, it's that it's a preventative way of not getting to that point where you are being driven by emotions and thoughts and without the practice. And I know this in myself, if I haven't practiced formally, um, you know, for a week or two, then I'll almost be without realizing noticing, um, or I won't notice, but I'll, I'll have more tension. And then it, that prompts me almost to think I probably need to get back into the, the mental gym with the formal practice. Otherwise it's not going to work. <laughs> Well, yeah, and it's, it, it reminds me of, of kind of the reaction that I had when you were talking before about like mindfulness versus like goal setting or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, our, our, our traditional toolbox is like giving people things to do. Mm-hmm. But when you're in the moment, when you realize, oh my God, I need to do something, it's too late, <laughs> right? Yeah. But like mindfulness isn't a thing to do, right? It's a way of being. Yeah. And we have things to do, like practice, But right, it's to reinforce that way of being so that when we're in the moment, we're already ready. Mm, It's just so, so, so important. Yeah. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I know, um, you know, we don't have a ton of time to go into this because this could probably be a whole nother subject uh, on a podcast episode. But um, Amy, you were alluding to a couple of different age groups that, that you've done this with. And one of the real exciting things um, to have seen, to have, to have been talking with you guys and see you're, you're working within a whole academy system, right? And, and so we're talking about various age groups who you guys have access to and are trying to help. And in delivering something like mindfulness, um, like MSPE, I guess I'm curious what your experiences are with different age groups. If you found particular challenges with, um, with older players or younger players or how you've adapted this, um, just because you have to be so versatile as, as a mindfulness leader here with, with these different ages. I mean, Greg, I'm not sure about you. I, the higher up, so the older the athletes get, the harder it's been um, to integrate it as a, as a group. So not necessarily as an individual, but if we're just talking as a group. Um, so from 18 up, 
has been quite a challenge. And I feel that the best way that I've got them on board is by combining it with the medical staff and doing more of the mindful movement to using the physical aspects as well. So instead of just getting them to notice the breath and bringing it back to that where, where we would tend to, tend to start with the younger age groups, um, it's been kind of right. The older, the older the age group, they've had exposure to it on a one-to-one -one basis. But if we're doing it from a group task, a lot of the movement aspects has been really helpful. Um, they're still a bit tentative as a group. I think as on as a one-to-one, -one, it's it's a lot easier um, because, like Greg said, you get that that individual connection. Where in a group, especially at that age. You've got all the different kind of hormones that are going on and that, that social status and, and everything. Um, so, yeah, there's, it's very different, very different going up through the ages. And, and maybe you can just say, so how, what is the age variation? You mentioned the under 13 and obviously up through, you mentioned 16 and 18. So, so how, what is the age range in your academy? So within the academy, we've got under nines all the way through to 23s. Uh, we've got a pre-academy as well where they've started to want mindfulness being introduced and that's under uh, under six to under eights. Um, wow. And then we're just trying, Greg and I and, and the rest of the team, we're trying to introduce it to the first team as well. So in total, if you just, if you take the whole kind of club, it's from six all the way through to, what's the oldest player, 32 Wow, that's amazing. And then from an organizational point of view as well. I guess that's why you guys are busy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a double-edged sword. <laughs> it's, it, it, as Amy was talking there, and I, I think a couple of points on that, and I'm, I'm sure Amy would agree that players who have emerged through the academy at a younger age, and as we know, the, the, the younger brain and mind is probably more receptive and less um, conditioned. So those players are probably learning and younger people generally can learn from mindfulness. So when they then arrive in the first team, they're, 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 they're easier, a lot easier to work with because they already know where we're coming from. Um, and I think the second point with that is I think the the higher level you go. And I think particularly in football, psychology is, is perceived as a, as a weakness. You know, if you need to go and see a psychologist, it's because you've got something wrong with you. Um, even though the irony of it is, and, and, and I'm amused by some of the top, top athletes who, who now start talking about how long they've practiced mindfulness which makes me realise they, they had an edge over their, their, their competitors anyway. They didn't tell anyone that they were doing it. But they, and they may have even said, no, you don't need that stuff. But when you look at the top athletes, and I think that this is an important point as well, you, I don't think it's about teaching, telling them how to do it. Because some of the best guys, you know, they've never had a mindfulness um, lesson. They, they, but they are mindful people, you know, and... And we talked about in, a, in one of our podcasts, that's about how you developed, how you've been brought up. Some people are cool and calm under pressure, um, which I wouldn't say is natural. I think they've learned how to do that. So I don't think it's about going in and telling them we've got this approach, which is going to make you better. 
because the way I look at it, these guys are at the top. They, they didn't get there through luck. They, they've got something a bit different up there in the first place. But I think we, what we can do is the players that may be more naturally physically talented, although natural, again, is, a, is, a, is, is something else, um, we, we can enhance that because they will still have emotion, you know, and, and, and we can, it's what we love about football, it's an emotional game. So you see players letting that emotion out, which at times gets them in trouble. But um, so, yeah, I think it's often about the biggest thing I've learned is don't don't force psychology and mindfulness on people because some people are pretty good at this stuff already. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. I, I yeah, I, I think that's 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 a really hard point to end on because unfortunately we have <laughs> we, we are out of time for today. But man, I'd love to have a whole nother long conversation about that um, <laughs> because I think that is such a critical point. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say it really, like it just, that just resonates with me. I share this a lot when I'm teaching mindfulness, but like, I think that was my experience as an athlete. I look back, I was a rower and I, I, and I look back on, on some of the ways that I coped mentally before I knew anything about mindfulness and mm-hmm. it was absolutely mindfulness. I mean, I, I have, mm-hmm. you know, these memories of, you know, pushing off the dock and like telling myself, like I'm out in the middle of a river. I can't study for that test. Mm. I can't write that paper. I, you know, it's like, I just need to be here now. Mm. Uh, and it's like, oh, I was being mindful. Like I figured out somehow, like that's what I needed. Uh, and I, I think learning about mindfulness and actually formally practicing it like, like was tremendous for me. But yeah, I think to your point, like I think there are athletes who kind of get how to adapt to that pressure. Um, mm. But if you can give them even just a little bit of structure, how to channel that, 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 that kind of natural intuitive knowledge, I think they can get so much more. Mm, mm, absolutely. Yeah. I, w- I wish we could honestly talk about that for another hour. I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's so interesting. It's such a great point. Yeah. Um, well, thank you guys so much, Greg and Amy for joining us and maybe you can join us in the future again. We can continue this conversation. I'm sorry. We have to, we have to end it here. Um, thank you guys. But, so- um yeah just just you know sort of a final plug i know you guys mentioned your podcast a couple of times do you want to say a little bit about how people can can connect and view your podcast um yeah uh, this is where amy and i we we are not um me uh we're we're not technical and media people so we just decided (laughs) to jump on and start talking and it seems that people wanted to listen so as far as i'm aware it's on the southampton website um the main website and i think you go on you just have to register and you can see the videos um yeah sorry if i'm doing it a disservice to our media team because uh but yeah go to the website and you'll you'll see it on there if that's okay yeah so it's all over the website um and it's all over twitter as well so if you if you follow southampton football club on twitter you'll be able to see links to it there as well that's great well, thank you guys so much. And if you want to follow us, um, you can follow us on our Facebook page, our MSP Facebook page. You can connect with us on our website, uh, mindfulsportperformance.org. Or you can follow me, Dr. Keith Kaufman, on Twitter. My handle is at mindfulsportdoc. And we, as always, want to thank our producer, Taylor Brown, from University of Texas, and our colleague, Dr. Carol Glass, for all of her support behind the scenes. 
so thank you all for listening and thank you again so much, Amy and Greg, for, for this wonderful conversation. And hopefully you can join us again because I want to come back to what Greg was talking <laughs> about at the end. And we could spend another hour on that because I have lots and lots of thoughts. Um, so thank you very much. So, yeah, and thank yes, you. Thank, thank you, you both as well. It's been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, love, love talking to like-minded people. And Keith, yeah, we've, we've all had some great conversations. So thank you. Very much appreciated. Yeah, thank you, guys. All right, guys. Take good care. Thank you very much. See you soon.